0: Good morning and welcome. Thank you again for being with us this morning. Really glad to see you all in person. Last Sunday I preached to three people. So uh, y'all look, I won't say y'all look better than those three people. They were wonderful looking people, but it was its nice to have more faces. I'd appreciate if y'all would smile at me. That would be helpful. That didn't go well at all. Good morning. Alright, there we go. That's a little better. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be in the book of Genesis chapter 1. I do apologize to you, not a whole lot we could do uh, for the way that the week has gone. We're going to be talking about truth this morning, foundational truth, and sometimes things just are, whether we like it or not. This past Sunday, we initially canceled all of our life groups. and. Um, and childcare because we just did not have enough adult volunteers to man our children and youth areas because of sickness uh, and then of course we had power outages so for any of you that would have wanted to be here you couldn't have been here Sunday because the power went out about five minutes after we finished recording and uploaded the sermon so uh, we've had that and then of course we had to cancel again this past Wednesday because uh, there again whether we like it or not we just did not have enough um, adult volunteers for children and youth, and we just couldn't we couldn't pull it off. So we, we hope and we pray that uh, the majority of that is behind us, and that uh, we begin moving forward in uh, in a, in a more uh, in a path more customary for us. But If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Genesis. Go ahead and turn there. One announcement, I want to give two announcements. I do have a Next Steps class this afternoon, so if, uh, if you signed up, please be here at 4 o'clock. If you didn't sign up, but you'd like to know what it looks like to be a member of Malvern Hill, or what it would look like to uh, take the next steps toward becoming a member, I would love for you to be here. I will meet you right here in the sanctuary at 4 o'clock, and then we'll move to another room. But I uh, would love to have you here at 4 o'clock this afternoon. For that the other thing I would just mention is that beginning the first Sunday in February, equipping studies kick off again. I would encourage you. Uh, you can look online. The church newsletter has information that. I don't know if we have a... Do we we don't have a link on the website for that, do we? The church newsletter is on the website that has all that information. There may be a link on the church website that has that information. There's information in the hallway behind the sanctuary that has all of that. Um, there are a variety of equipping studies that will be available on Sunday nights, beginning the first Sunday in February, and they'll carry us right to Easter. Uh, those are going to be things like... Um, I'm doing one on sort of uh, hot-button cultural issues. Uh, Adam and Betsy, Pastor Adam and Betsy, are doing one on... Um, Um, Parenting, Um, Kevin and Deanna are doing one on uh, mental health, sort of, and Christian counseling and things of that nature, and I don't know what the others are. There's a whole bunch of them out there. I would just encourage you to look online. I should have prepared. I should have brought a list up here, shouldn't I? Um, But uh, please, I'll do better next time, okay? But um, go check that out. We we really are looking forward to this. Uh, But the one thing that's going to be a little bit different I mentioned to you is we're we're not going to have any... um, any of our equipping studies are going to be age graded or that are going to be uh, gender divided so we're going to put everybody together and the hope there is that we would grow not only uh, in our understanding there's there's another one on um, uh, on um, stewardship as well if you're trying to figure out what it looks like uh, to manage your, your finances as well Maybe you're trying to figure out how to dig out of debt Or maybe you're trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian and to be a faithful steward We've got a lot of different opportunities that are coming But we're gonna have our teenagers mixed in We're gonna have men and women mixed together so that we have these opportunities for us to kind of um, Cross paths with one another and hopefully cross paths not only with folks that we don't know but cross paths generationally as well All right I butchered that announcement terribly, so the best thing for y'all to do would just be to go online and find all the information. And we'll send out an announcement this week that will do a better job than I just did. How about that? All right. if you have your Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Please stand with me in honor of God's Word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, And to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that we would today accept your word, accept your truth, be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Where, where can truth be found? Is there such a thing as truth? This morning, I left my house. I got up this morning and I started my truck. I'm going to tell you what truth confronted me when I walked out my back door. It was 17 degrees. It was 17 degrees. Yesterday, we were snow tubing with our family in the mountains of North Carolina, so my truck wasn't moved from Friday until this morning. So when I walked out, my neighbors had not scraped my windshield for me. Thanks, guys. Um... But I walked outside and it was 17 degrees. There was snow on my deck. There was snow and ice on my truck. It didn't matter if I, which for the record, I did want there to be snow. For those of you who have been in the boat with me hoping and praying, good job, we did it. We got across the finish line. The rest of you, sorry. Um, But it didn't matter what I wanted, right? The truth confronted me. It was cold. It was really cold this morning. And so outside I went with gloves and a hat and a vest, and I got busy scraping away all the ice and the snow. I was so excited when I got into my truck. It had been warming up, so it was nice and warm when I got in there. But the truth of the situation confronted me regardless of what I wanted. This morning, I want us to wrestle with this question. Where can truth be found where can truth be found you see the reality is that there is such a thing as absolute truth there is right and wrong and this morning we're going to wrestle with that question picking up really not initially with the text that we just read but picking up with a question that is asked in genesis chapter 3 Now, for those of you that have been in the Word for a little while, you know that Genesis 3 is the story of the fall of humanity. It's in that place that God's perfect creation is spoiled by sin. In God's garden, we see that there was an invader who made his way in, and he did not confront Adam and Eve by opposing or questioning the existence of God, if you'll recall, in the beginning, he asked one question. Did God really say? This morning, I ask you, did God really say? Has God actually spoken? we think about truth, the first thing we see is that truth is foundational. Truth is foundational. When I say it's foundational, I mean it lays a foundation that we can stand upon, that we can build our houses upon. This building was moved into about six years ago, if my memory serves me correct, but the very first thing that happened, before we expanded this sanctuary, is that they poured footers all the way around the building. As a matter of fact, they poured huge footers right where these corners are. They're, they're big steel beams that hold up that, that, um, that ceiling right there. That, that, not the ceiling, but that, that wall essentially from there up. And so they had to pour really large footers there where that steel could be connected and those steel beams could be erected to hold all that up. The foundation was laid before anything else was done. And it wasn't until that foundation was sure and secure that the building could be built upon it. Folks, I want you to know that truth is foundational. And the foundation upon which we establish or upon which we build, it determines what kind of building we can build. Had the foundations not been secure for this, y'all wouldn't be safe sitting where you are because the roof could collapse. matter of fact, this whole roof could come down. The Bible establishes truth in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. This is the most foundational truth in all the world. That truth is this. There was God in the beginning. He has no beginning. He has no ending. In the beginning, there was nothing except God. He is the eternal Word. Jesus said In Revelation, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Sloan's been working through a little Bible study book at home, and he got excited. He came to me and showed me that it has the Greek alphabet, so he told me he was going to learn Greek. (laughs) He should probably learn to speak English first, but hopefully we'll get there. But it was good because it's it's spelled out on the page from, from Alpha to Omega. If you don't know this, Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet and omega is the last letter in the greek alphabet and so i was able to show him hey when jesus said i am alpha and omega look what he's saying i'm the beginning and the end i am everything we worship god as a trinity in the beginning god was right god was existent as three in one in that place and in that time the foundation for all truth is this god exists do you understand how strong this foundation is so strong that when <clears throat> satan sought to destroy god's good creation he did not attack the existence of god why because the evidence for god's existence was far too strong adam and eve had walked with the lord in the cool of the garden they knew that god was there had he walked in and said does god really exist they'd have laughed him out of the room or out of the garden i guess i don't guess there was a room what if there was Satan, of course, the Bible says the serpent was crafty, he was more cunning. And, And rather than saying, does God actually exist, he walks in and he asks this question. He challenges not the foundation of truth, he challenges instead the second truth foundation that we have. And that second foundation is the Word of God. Did God really say, or has God indeed said Listen to the words exactly. Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Of course, God had not said anything like this. God had told Adam and Eve they shouldn't eat of one particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan was cunning. If he could get Adam and Eve to doubt God's word, then he could get them to doubt God's love, God's care, God's knowledge. Did you see, though, that he didn't ask did God not say, Satan actually added to the word of God. You see, you want, to, you want to know one of the greatest dangers for evangelicals like you? Those people who love and trust and believe God's word. It's not that we would first and foremost take something away from God's word, but instead that we might add something to God's word. Satan was a really good legalist for Adam and Eve. Did Has God indeed said you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? God had not said anything like that. He added to it. But with that word, he began. He planted a seed of doubt. Maybe God doesn't love me as he should if he's withholding from me something good. Folks, we don't often wade off into hot-button cultural issues from the pulpit here. And the reason that we don't, if some of you have asked, there are several reasons. We, we typically preach through books of the Bible. And by preaching through books of the Bible, we trust that in God's sovereign timing, God takes us into issues that matter. And, and by preaching through books of the Bible, we also end up wading off into issues that we otherwise wouldn't touch, right? There There's some things that if I was just going through and picking out things I wanted to preach about, i like, no, 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 we'll just ignore it. When I preached through the whole Bible last year, I'm going to tell you it was great because we we're preaching through big sections at a time, and y'all might read, you know, 40 chapters in a week, and I go, yeah, I'm not preaching that chapter. There is no reason. There's another one right here. John 3, 16 is in this verse. I think we'll take this one this week, you know? We preach new books of the Bible before we do that. But, but watch, here's the other reason. We, we want to avoid railing at the world and preaching to the choir. Sp- spending precious time building arguments against those who will never hear ser- our sermons results in lots of praise and backpacks from people within our own congregation, but it doesn't necessarily result in life change. So, for instance, when you hear me speak into political issues, you normally hear me coming down harder on faults that are more likely to exist within our own congregation than on faults that would exist outside of our congregation, right? So if just, uh, uh, let's see, uh, a year ago, I guess, I I, I spoke to some of the things that happened with the the, the riots or whatever you want to call them in D.C. on January the 6th. I had some people that got frustrated with me and they weren't happy. Why would you speak to that and you speak to other things? Well, here's the reason, because just demographically speaking, the folks in our congregation are more likely to be engaged in those thought processes that we need to deal with than to be engaged in other kinds of thought processes. We need to preach to our people. That matters to me. It's important that we preach to us. We don't preach to everybody else. I don't stand up here to get praise from everybody that walks in. I hope and pray that we stand up here with a prophetic voice that leads us to change. Um, Secondly, or maybe thirdly here, part of being a welcoming congregation is opening our door. This is why we don't preach on hot-button political issues. Part of being a welcoming congregation is opening our doors to all sorts of people. And it's far more important that people hear the gospel than that they hear me stand up and go on and on about whatever ridiculous things being talked about on CNN or Fox News or the latest TikTok challenge or whatever it is. We need to get around to the things that matter eternally. Okay? Now, I can get a whole lot of of Instagram likes, because Kevin puts those things up on Instagram, if we hit some of those hot-button issues. But we want to focus on eternity. Next, if we dive into cultural issues that make us angry all the time, we tend to neglect the sinful planks in our own eyes. It's a lot easier for me to talk about them than it is to look in the mirror and talk about me. I can talk about all the things outside the church and neglect to talk about drunkenness, envy, sloth, and gluttony that affect people within this church. Nevertheless, there are occasions when the necessity lays on us heavy to deal with cultural issues specifically. And this morning we're going to talk about objective truth. We're wrestling through this idea. Don't zone out on me. This is going to get better, okay? Uh, We're wrestling with this idea of what is truth, where can truth be found, and did God really say because it matters in a big way? Objective truth, or, or the lack thereof, for instance, really ties into so much of what we're seeing in our culture related to sexuality and gender and, and political strife. We're going to talk about these things because they are interrelated. We're going to talk about these things because we see the idea of the nuclear family coming under attack in many corners of our society. Perhaps there's no greater evidence of this than the wide-scale adoption of transgenderism and homosexual relationships. Now, why? Because truth is foundational. And part of the reason we find ourselves in such confusion today as a culture is because we've rejected the notion and the idea of foundational truth. The idea that there are truths that underlie all other truths. And the two most foundational truths that must permeate not only the church but the culture at large, is the idea first that God exists and second that God has spoken. Folks, if we affirm that God exists, then we have to affirm who He is, right? The Bible doesn't say a God exists, the God exists. He is the God who existed prior to all things, who controls all things, and is in charge of all things. As a result, He alone can make the rules, you understand? He alone can set the expectation, So, the most foundational truth is first that God exists. Secondly, that God has spoken. If God exists and he has spoken, then guess what? His words matter. They should be heeded, they should be followed, they should be obeyed. Why do we see the idea that, or why do we see truth under attack? We can trace some of this back to some big academic ideas in the early part of the 20th century. Something like uh, the idea of postmodernism. Postmodernists sought to be rid of prevailing meta narratives. Now, they were honest about that. Okay, y'all, hold on, I promise. Okay, this is going to get, for those of you that swimming, we're okay. Stick with me. But there there were some, and at this point we're talking 80 to 100 years ago in academia, who had the idea that if we could get rid of meta-narratives, meta-big, narrative stories, big stories, big ideas, the realization was that it was these big stories, these big ideas that controlled the narrative of society. What is the biggest story, the biggest idea in Western culture and society is the idea of the Judeo-Christian worldview, that God exists and that God has spoken. And here's the problem, if you don't like to live according to what God says, you have to assert either that God doesn't exist or that God hasn't spoken. Well, the serpent was cunning, and he knew that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that God exists, so the first thing we have to do is go after what God has said rather than that God is. There's a lot of people in the world today that will affirm that God exists without affirming that God has spoken in a way that is true. Why? Because it's difficult to walk outside and see the snow fall and the stars shine and believe that there is not a God who has created all of those things. But we all, oh, let me back up. Oh, no, I think so. I think we all at times like the idea, though, that maybe this God really doesn't care what I do. He just kind of put me here to live out my own life. The idea of postmodernism was that we must reject narratives, big stories, no longer do we subject ourselves to something like a Judeo-Christian worldview. Instead, we own and adopt our own individual, small stories, hyper-individualism. So you ready? This is where it begins to rubber meets the road. What's good for you is good for you, and I'm not going to get in the way of it. See, y'all thought I was just getting into this big academic conversation. What you didn't understand is that those big big thoughts in the 20s and the 30s, 1920s and 30s, apply today. Postmodernism. Leads to hedonism and hyper individualism. Hedonism is, hey, I'm going to do whatever I want, whatever makes me happy. That's what hedonism is. Your mama called you a heathen, but you didn't understand what that meant. That just meant that you're pursuing your own pleasure above all else. Postmodernism says, what's good for you is good for you, and it's none of my business. But truth is foundational. Truth is foundational. Here's the problem. This is why postmodernism doesn't exist within the academy anymore, because it collapsed in on itself. Because when there is no foundation, then what happens? Postmodernism begins to eat itself. Right? This is why we're seeing even extreme liberalism begin to eat itself. This is why we're seeing those on the extreme right begin to eat themselves, because there's no foundation. There's only ideology. It's, the, the, the only foundation is, I want what I want, and I want you to do what I say. Well, guess what? When everybody wants what they want, nobody wants the same things. And so you've got to start attacking each other unless we have a foundation. As followers of Jesus, our foundation is first that God exists and second that he has spoken. Truth is foundational. We've got to have something that we can stand on. How many of y'all fell in the snow yesterday? Don't lie. Nobody? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. We have truth tellers over here. I appreciate that. It's good. It's good. I fell yesterday, I slipped off a chair, the foundation came out from under me. Let me just tell you, it was less than graceful. I was seated on a chair, on a stool on the edge of it, and as I was sitting there trying to have a, let's just say, serious conversation with one of my children, um, the chair flew out from under me, when the chair flew out it went that way, I went this way, my head hit another chair and I just sprawled out on the floor. It was terrible, right? It was awful, embarrassing. Everything is wrong in that moment. You understand? Everything is bad. The foundation came out from under me. Some of y'all saw that walking on ice and snow yesterday. The foundation came out from under and you hit the ground. Folks, we've got to have a firm, sure foundation. And it begins with a belief that God exists and second, that He has spoken. So, truth is foundational. Second thing we see this morning is truth is verifiable. Truth is verifiable. That means that I can touch it. I walked out this morning Well before I walked out the first thing I do every morning is I pull out my little handy dandy phone One of the first things and I open up that and I go to the weather app and I say hey Weather what's the temperature outside? It said 17 Man, I don't know if it's really 17 degrees. I walked outside. I said it is 17 degrees It was verifiable I walk outside and I can feel it. Yep, it is 17. That's what truth is. I can know that it is true because I can check it. It's verifiable, right? We played a little game riding down the road yesterday. You know, you've all done it before. A little ABC game. We got to find a, a word that has it starts with a certain letter. So you know, first letter's A. So we found apple. So then B and so on. And we got to J and and we had to institute this rule. And the rule was. Two people have to see the sign because there was some, some thought that perhaps somebody in the vehicle may have been stretching the truth a little bit. Right? Like you didn't really find Q that fast. We needed to be able to verify. The tr- truth is verifiable. If, it, if there's a letter, if there's a sign, and it says Q, somebody else ought to be able to see it. And if you're the only person who saw it, it wasn't there. Think about verifiable truth. God says in Genesis chapter 1 right here, then God said, Let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. Let us make them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over the, uh, all the earth, over everything that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Truth is verifiable. When we think about human sexuality, for instance, this is verifiable, right? I can ask the question, How was I born? I can look in the mirror and go, Boom, that's what I am. I'm, I'm a man. As it relates to our Christian journey beyond sexuality, and this is where we have to be careful. As Christians, we want to get caught up, right? If you read the news, there's big news about the NCAA making decisions about a swimmer from Penn State. We want to get caught up on this one cultural issue. I want you to know that if we're not careful, these can become blinds that, that subtract, that detract us from the foundational issue. Should we be concerned about the wide-scale adoption, for instance, of transgenderism in our culture? We should. Should we be concerned that children are being abused in the name of psychological health? We should. But folks, we've got to talk about these foundational issues. And the reason that that has been adopted at the wide scale is because we've neglected to live with the idea that truth it's foundational and verifiable that I can actually know what is true that I can see it I can touch it so that brings us back to Satan's question in the garden did God really say do you know this was verifiable now presumably Adam and Eve should have remembered what God had said but even if they forgot God walked with them in the cool of the garden right so guess what they could have done? They could have just hung around and waited until God showed back up. I'm like, hey, Lord, um, listen, this, this serpent that you created, he was in here the other day, and he, he brought up a question, and I just I don't remember exactly right. Let me ask you, did you say that we can't eat from any tree in the garden? Did you say that, Lord? See, they could have, been, they could have verified that. Well, God is, is the God of truth, so he would have told them the truth, right? They didn't. Because what? They didn't actually want to know the truth. Watch, for us, it's even easier. You have a Bible, you have a computer. Did God say? Did God say what? Well, whatever. So, like, for instance, our question right now, the transgender question, did God create us as male and female? We can run to Genesis and go, yes, there's an answer. It's verifiable. God has said it, period. But it's bigger, it's beyond that. It's more than just that, right? Did God say, I can't cheat on my spouse? Yes. Did God say I shouldn't defraud the poor? Yes. Did God say I shouldn't be lazy? Yes. Did God say I shouldn't be a glutton? Yes. How can we know? Because you ready? You can Google it. Legitimately. Like if you, if you don't want to take my word for it, you can just Google Bible verses about gluttony and you'll get a list. Of, you'll get like 478 pages with 438 lists of 438 verses. What does the Bible say about lazy it'll say it'll give you a verse that says hey redeem the days because of the time because the days are evil and you go oh I don't need to be lazy we can verify these truths as Christians we need to be the kind of people who point to evidences for truth and watch this here's the other side if we can't verify the truth of a belief that we have then we Walk away from that belief. We walk. We have to be committed to truth at all costs. At all costs. Has there ever been a truth that you clung to publicly? That you then walked away from when it became obvious that you were wrong? We can go with some crazy ones, right? Like cleanliness is next to godliness. That doesn't exist in the Bible. Okay? If you told your kids that, apologize. It's not there. You can say to them, the Bible says you are to obey your, your parents. It's in there. And your mama said, clean your room. Then you have to do it. But we don't create a false narrative just to give us what we want. This is important. important. Let's go, let's, let's talk about a, 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 a I, I remember having a pastor once, um, a preacher I, I heard talking about alcohol. He's a very anti-alcohol guy. And he stood up and he said this. He said, when the Bible talks about wine, it was new wine. It wasn't alcoholic wine. Folks, that's not true. That just isn't true. There's nothing true about that. I can give you lots of illustrations and lots of reasons why drunkenness is wrong and why alcohol can be dangerous. But I can't lie. I can't hold on to something to be true just because I want it to be true. I've got to go with what is true, period. Right? I heard somebody reading the book of Ephesians one time and said, Paul says says elect right here, but I wish Paul had used a different word because that's not what he meant. No, that's what he meant or he wouldn't have used that word. Do you understand? We've got to be truthful. Tellers and truth believers and look as followers of Jesus we believe that all truth is God's truth all truth is God's truth okay so if you believe that you know microchips are in vaccines then do the research and when you learn that there are no microchips then you've got to say there wasn't a microchip you've got to say it you don't have to go take it but you've got to tell the truth you, you might look at it and say i just i don't want it that's fine i'll affirm your liberty do your thing but tell the truth and tell it for the right reasons what are the other things that we hold on to that we just we just they're so close and they become so personal truth is verifiable okay so if i say it's true and it's From God's word, then watch this. I've got to be able to show you where it exists in here. And if I can't find it, then I've got to jettison it. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Here's one. This one was great and angry all at the same time. I saw a guy online the other day that said that that men shouldn't have a man bun. You know what that is? Listen, I agree, right? Why would you want it? Fine. But he goes on to make this argument that it is ungodly and sinful. What? Come on. There's no truth in that. None. There really is. I mean, look, it's a bad idea. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you to go do it. Right? Now, there is a verse, I believe, in 3 Corinthians about why teenagers shouldn't squat their trucks. But... Um, <laughs> If you don't know about 3 Corinthians, this is the one that we don't have, but Paul wrote it in there. I, I've seen it. It was, uh, it was in the, the undead sea scrolls. But, um, You know, we, we've got to be, and, and, and so it's, it's important, right? But watch, watch. I, I want to jump up and down and scream this. Listen, when we are made aware of truth, I don't care where it comes from. We've got to stand on truth because when we try to chip away at truth, then we chip away at the foundations that allow us to preach the gospel. Does that make sense? Right? If you want to walk outside and you want to say, it's not not cold. This is my favorite thing for raising children. It's right there at the top. Parents, how many times have you looked at a kid of any age from like 2 to 40, and you said, put a jacket on. They said, I'm not cold. We've had to come to this statement in our house. There are times when it is objectively cold, and I don't care how you feel, right? If it is below 40 degrees, it is objectively cold. I'm not cold. I didn't say, are you cold? I said, it is cold. Put on a jacket, right? We've got to be the kind of people that say, it's true whether I like it or not. All right. Truth is verifiable. I can point to it. Dad, I'm not cold. Son, it is 14 degrees. It doesn't matter what you are. The thermometer says it is cold. All right. Number three, truth is objective. What is true is true regardless of who is experiencing the truth. One of the greatest dangers in the church, this is us, is that we would explain truth as relative instead of objective. And i will explain this. How many of you have made the mistake? And I have, so I'm not just preaching at y'all. i got to look in the mirror. One of the easiest ways that we relativize truth in the church is with this question. What does this passage of Scripture mean to you? Okay? Listen. Listen. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what God meant when he wrote it. There's a difference. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what God meant when he wrote it. Teachers, listen to me, and it doesn't matter if you're teaching children in in life groups, if you're teaching in our public school system, or if you're teaching university students, listen to me. Don't ever allow your kids to wrestle with what a text means to them Wrestle with the question of what did the author mean when he wrote this text? There's a difference. How frustrated are you when your words are misunderstood? How angry might you become if someone says that your words mean something different than what you said? How many times have we found ourselves just so frustrated because you said something and the way you intended is not the way that somebody took it and you're saying hey i need you to stop being mad at me i didn't mean anything bad by what i said i am horrible at this there there are times when i have to look at angel and i say hey honey i'm thinking about saying this can i say this and she just looks at me and she says no no you can't even say that to me and you can't say that in public because what people are going to think you said is this i'm like well that ain't what i said what i said was this she says that might be what you thought you said but what everybody heard is not that truth is objective and we can know what words mean okay this is this is why something like Critical theory is dangerous. It, it twists and contorts the meaning of words and suggests that words themselves can be twisted to mean whatever I want them to say. This is where we see language like, um, like microaggression that's coming out in our public. And again, this, why, why, why do we need, as, as Christians, why do we reject these ideas? Because the idea here exists that if I feel offended by what you say, then you need to always apologize. Now, 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 now obviously, this can go too far. We want to be careful here, right? If I choose words that are universally offensive, then I need to change my words. I need to apologize. There have been times when I have used a word in a way that didn't fit with its dictionary definition. Well, guess what? When I use the wrong word, I am wrong. And I need to I might have meant, I might have meant you look beautiful, but if I said, hey, you look fat, it don't work. We, we can't do that. But truth is objective. And so when when the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created, in male and female he created them, there is an objective truth here that doesn't change. And it's objective not just for human sexuality. It's a reminder that all truth, real truth, is objective truth. Now, it's icy on the front steps. That's not an objective truth because I don't actually know. We can go out there and we can check. And if it still is, then it is. But the objective truth is that at 7.30 this morning, the front steps of this church were iced over. That is an objective truth that can never, ever change. If I simply say generically it's icy, that may not be true 20 minutes from now or or 20 days from now. But at 7.30 this morning, it was icy. That is foundational because we believe that words matter. It is verifiable because somebody else saw it other than me. And it is objective. In other words, if you don't like it, that's fine. But you can't actually change it. It's true. Listen to me. God's Word is true. It is foundationally true. It is verifiably true, and it is objectively true. Why does this matter for the church? Because that's undoubtedly where some of you are wondering right now. Wow, Craig, you've taken us on this journey with weird big words, and why does it matter? Because the gospel depends upon the truth. The gospel depends upon the truth. God is the foundation of truth, and He has chosen to make truth known through spoken and written words. Do you realize that? If we can't trust words, we can't know what God said. God created the world with His words. Could he have chosen any other way to do it? He could have, but he spoke the world into being with words, as, as one of my favorite ch- children's Bible says, with big, powerful words. God created the nation of Israel with his words from Mount Sinai when he spoke and wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger. John came preaching. Jesus inaugurated the second Um, covenant with preaching he consummated it with his death and guess how the church was born through the spoken word of God as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost the gospel depends upon the truth and the truth shall set you free When we reject biblical truth, verifiable truth, foundational truth, objective truth, when we reject that idea, then truth becomes subjective. And what's good for you is good for you, and what's good for me is good for me. And so we can use phrases like, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And when truth becomes subjective, then watch. There is no sin. There is no sin unless there is an outside source of truth determining what is right and wrong. Some years back, I had frustration with a, a, a state organization, and uh, we, 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 we were wrestling trying to get some things done and, and getting absolutely no, we' just spinning our wheels. And so I got online and I, I looked for an organizational chart because I needed to know who was the next person up I needed to know who the boss was for the person I was speaking with because that person was not doing their job and I was so surprised I got online and there was no organizational chart and the more I dug the more questions I asked what I what I learned was that the only way that this agency could be held accountable was you ready if they self reported their faults to the organization, the, 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 the people above them. There was nobody that was coming in and holding them accountable. So I, I, rem- I called the state office, and I arranged a meeting with as high up as I could get, and I said, so explain this to me. If Susie's not doing her job, how do you know? What, how do you know about the complaints that I filed? Well, they self report I said, so you believe that she's just going to call you up and be like, hey, Half the families I've dealt with in the past three weeks hate my guts and don't think I'm doing my job. So um, I just wanted you to know I'm terrible at my job and I'm not responding to phone calls or emails. Thanks. Is that what's going to happen? They're like, well, we understand the system's broken. Why was the system broken? You ready? Because people only had to report the sins that they actually believed to be their own sin. Guess what? outside of somebody else telling you what you did was wrong. If it made you feel good, it felt good to you, and you don't want to know about what it is, right? There's got to be an objective standard that exists beyond you. The gospel depends upon truth. The gospel depends upon truth first because we've got to actually believe that it's true. But second, and this actually is probably the hardest part, you've got to believe that what the Bible says about you is true. And I've got to believe what the Bible says about me is true. This is why the gospel is offensive. The gospel is not offensive because it says Jesus died on the cross for sins. The gospel is offensive because it says that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. The gospel is offensive because the gospel says you are a sinner. And then God does this crazy thing by getting pretty specific in His Word and goes to meddling in our lives. If we live according to the Bible, if we teach according to the Bible, we preach according to the Bible, then we have to say things that are uncomfortable and they're offensive. We have to say things like fornication is a sin. We have to say that. We have to say that gluttony is a sin. We have to say that homosexuality is a sin. We have to say that playing house without being married is a sin. We have to say that malice is a sin. We have to say that not loving our neighbor as ourself is a sin. We have to say that not honoring God with our finances is a sin. We have to say those things and then watch. I have to say it, but then you've got to sit there and listen. Listen. See, truth is truth whether we like it or not. The truth of God's word speaks against our sin, and God alone gets to define what sin is. It is objective, it is verifiable, and it is foundational. What is repentance of sin? Do you know that essentially it's agreeing with God? I agree that what God said is wrong is true. And I agree that I'm doing those wrong things. And as a result, I agree and admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I agree and admit that Jesus alone is that Savior. The way and the truth and the life. Where can truth be found? Truth can be found right here in God's Word. Where must truth be applied? Right here. Man and woman's heart. When the truths of God's Word meet the hearts of sinful human beings, God does miraculous things. He exchanges sinful hearts for holy ones. He removes hurt and gives hope. He takes away sin and shame and gives joy and peace. Did God really say all of that? Yes. See, the real question for us today, and for you, is not did God say. You know He did, just as Adam and Eve did. The question is, will you admit to all that God has said about you, about the world, and about His Son, Jesus Christ? Will you admit all of those things? Admit your sin, accept your Savior, and be saved. The truth, God loves you and sent Jesus Christ to die for your sin. The truth, God knows everything you've been, everywhere you've been, all that you've done, the truth, God loves you anyway. The truth, God created them male and female, watch, in His image with this great desire that you as an image bearer of God would be redeemed into His family, would be set free from your sin, your pain, your struggles, your addictions, and would experience life eternally in Jesus Christ. This morning, as Pastor Kevin comes to lead us, will you accept the truth about your sin and your Savior? Will you be changed? Pray with me. Father God in heaven, I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. That nothing you've said, Lord God, will ever pass away. Lord God, I also thank you that you, Lord, are specific about our sin, so that we might be saved. Give us the faith, the courage to believe everything that you've said and to experience salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. As you stand with us this morning and as you sing, let me invite you, let me encourage you, let me challenge you. Will you take God at his word? Will you believe what God says about you and about Jesus and about the hope that is found in Jesus Christ? Sing with us.